The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. I'm going to read uh, the scripture passage that he's chosen. It is Philippians 1, 12 through 18. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Today I want to talk with you guys about what to do when life doesn't go as expected. And, you know, the older I get, the more kind of life experience I get, the more I recognize that this is, this is the reality, right? We make plans, and then life happens. Um, we, we think we know what's going to happen, and then it doesn't. And the great thing about that is that uh, when we submit these plans, we submit these, you know, broken plans to God, He can actually redeem those plans. He can use those plans in some amazing ways, right? He can, he can redeem them to um, bring glory to Himself, He can redeem them um, for our good. He can redeem them for the good of those around us. And it's kind of this amazing paradox that we experience in life. And so for today, our text um, that, you know, we've selected, uh, we're going to be looking at the life of Paul, and we're going to be looking at how God does this in his life as an example for all of us. And um, I know Jam just read that scripture to us, but I'd I'd like to read it again. If If you haven't had a chance yet, you can open up your Bible with me to Philippians 1, 12 through 18. And um, I'd just like to read that before we get started today. Starting in verse 12, it says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but... Others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Let's pray real quickly. Lord, We thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that can be found in your word and the encouragement that can be found in your word. And um, I just pray today that you would speak to us through your word. You'd you'd speak through me. And um, Lord, that I could offer some bit of encouragement um, to Shades Valley Community Church today, Lord. I pray that you would be with us, that your presence would be here, and um, you help us to have open eyes and open ears and open hearts to what you have to say. It's your name we pray. Amen. So 2020 did not go as according to plan. Does everybody agree that 2020 was like not the year we expected, right? Um, You know, my wife Sarah and I, we have like kind of this 
I don't know, it's a cool tradition to us, but maybe weird for other people, is that, you know, every year on New Year's Day, we, like, make plans. We, like, get together, we sit down, and we make, like, just goals for the year. I don't know if anybody else does that, but we make these goals for the year, personal goals, goals as a family, as a couple, um, goals for work, for, you know, spiritual goals, all kinds of goals. And then we do this thing that's, like, even a little bit more intense, where we make, like, a five-year plan, right? So we, like, really like to plan, and uh, we've been doing this ever since we got married, so we have like, you know, almost nine of these where, where it's actually kind of fun. Every, every New Year's Day, we sit down and we can look back like, all right, how are we doing on the plan? And sometimes it's like, wow, you know, we're doing pretty good. And sometimes it's like, what were we thinking? Like, there's like, I can't believe we thought we would be doing that right now, right? And so it's funny, but it's also fun. And, um, you know, our goals for 2020 are just kind of funny to look at, right? And uh, one of the big goals that we had was we wanted to go on an epic family vacation, Right? And, you know, we, we, we love to travel. We love to go to new places. And we said 2020 is like the year we're going to go on like this epic family vacation. And so we were trying to kind of decide where are we going to go? What are we going to do? And um, we decided that we were going to go to San Diego, California. I know maybe that sounds random, but we have some really good friends that live in San Diego and we hadn't seen them in several years. We both have kids now and, you know, they're the same age. And we thought this is a great way to, you know, reconnect with them. We'll go somewhere we've never been before. This is going to be great, right? So we booked our, our flight. We found this, like, amazing Airbnb. It's, like, literally walking distance to the beach. It's, like, walking distance to our friend's house. It's, like, walking distance to all these amazing restaurants. And we're like, this is going to be an epic family vacation, right? And so you guys know what happened, right? As, as we get closer and closer to, like, when we are going to go on this trip, it just becomes more and more evident, like, this trip is not going to happen, right? We, we kind of held out hope, like, all the way to the end, like a few weeks before we are supposed to leave in July, and we just kind of had this moment where we're like, what are we doing? Like, there's no way this is going to happen, right? Like, we're not taking a two-year-old on, on a plane with, like, she's not going to wear a mask on a plane. Like, um, all the restaurants in California are closed. Like, I think you had to wear a mask on the beach. It's like, that's not going to be fun. Um, and then our friends, you know, she's a nurse, so she's like, hey, you know, I'm exposed. Like, I actually don't even feel comfortable seeing you guys, right? So we're like, okay, this trip is not going to happen, right? And so unfortunately, with like, a week before we're about to go, we, you know, we cancel the trip on Airbnb, we get a refund, but I'm like determined. I'm like, I'm going to go on a vacation. Like the world may be shut down, but I'm going somewhere, right? We had been, like many of you guys, we had been stuck in the house, we were working from home, we, you know, our daycare was closed, so both of us are working full time and watching Lena at the same time. And so with a week to go, I get on Airbnb and I'm like, I'm about to book something. We're going somewhere. And I get on, and there's like three places in the whole entire southeastern United States, right? There's like a place that's literally like a barn in Tennessee, like not like a cool barn, right? It's just a barn. I'm like, why would anybody pay to stay in this barn, right? And then there's one that's like somewhere in Florida, like kind of near the beach, but like not like a cool part of the beach, and it's a long walk, and it like looks kind of scary, and I don't think I want to stay there. And then I find this spot that's in like West Alabama in a, in a lake house. I'm like, okay, like, this, this feels pretty good. Like, this is not an epic family vacation, but, like, lake house, not too far away. Like, we've got this, right? First red flag should have been when the owner of this house messages me and says, hey, are you sure that you want to book this house for a whole week? And I'm thinking, like, this is kind of weird, but, yeah, I'm definitely sure. Like, I want to go to this lake house for a week. And um, when the person you're, like, trying to give money to is like, hey, I think this is a bad idea, um, that, that should have been the red flag, but I, I like persevered. I was like, I'm going on an epic family vacation. This was a goal I made, right? And so we get there, and it just is, it's downhill every, every, step of the day, every step of the way. Every day kind of gets worse. You know, we show up, and 
If you're thinking, like, I wonder where there's a lake in West Alabama. The answer is there's not one, right? This is like a, a very small pond at this house. It's not a lake house. Um, it's a pond with, that's been stocked with fish, but, like, these fish have been, like, abandoned, so these fish are starving. So you get, in, you get in the pond, you go swimming, and the fish just bite you, right? So we can't get in the water. Um, we're in the middle of nowhere. The AC breaks upstairs, so Lena is sleeping in, like, a closet near our bedroom. It is just, like, every day something else happens. And eventually we left early. We, like, left this vacation early. Um, and this was, like, not the epic family vacation that we planned. So these, these plans did not work out, right? And this is kind of a funny example, right? I mean, I'm sure all of us have those examples from 2020 that are, you know, maybe kind of funny, but maybe some of us, you know, have some that are not as funny, maybe a little bit more serious. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're facing something um, that you didn't expect. Maybe, you know, recently, maybe you've lost your job, right? I, I have friends who have been laid off recently, and um, they're, like, trying to decide, like, do I just like a career change? Like, where, what, what am I supposed to be doing? Um, maybe you've lost a loved one recently. Um, both Sarah and I have lost grandparents this year. It's been a, a tough year for us. Um, maybe you've got a relationship that's strained, a family member or a friend, and you're like, I'm not sure if this is like going to be okay. Like, I don't see a way out of this. Or um, maybe you're facing a medical diagnosis that you didn't expect, right? There's lots of things that we could be facing, and um, there's lots of things that we face that we don't expect in life, right? And oftentimes when we find ourselves in these situations, we start to kind of ask questions. It's, it's natural for us to ask questions, and um, unfortunately, the questions can kind of sound like this and be kind of geared in this direction. And the first one is oftentimes we question God, right? We, we maybe ask these questions like, why are you doing this, God, right? Where are you? Why won't you answer my prayers? Are you there? Unfortunately, when we start to ask these questions, it can lead us to doubt. Second area we can kind of question is we often question others. And we ask questions like this, doesn't anybody care about me? Does anybody understand what I'm going through? Why am I going through this alone? Unfortunately, these kind of questions lead us to isolation. And finally, sometimes we question ourselves. You know, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I don't have what it takes. What did I do to deserve this, right? Unfortunately, oftentimes those questions just lead us to quit. Maybe you find yourself asking one of these questions today. Maybe you're asking all of these questions today. Um, But today I'm here to tell you that there's hope offered in God's Word, and there's hope offered in the life of Paul um, because he faced a similar reaction. Um, He had a similar similar situation that, that he reacted to, and my prayer, you know, for this message today, um, you know, I, I even this morning just kind of processing, um, I, I went for a run in the rain. Yes, I'm that weird guy who, like, you see run in the rain, you're like, what's wrong with that person? Um, and I just was processing this morning and, and you know, thinking, praying and, and asking, you know, what I wanted to get out of this message, what I wanted y'all to get out of this message. And it's just encouragement. You know, I hope today that if any of you guys are facing kind of these difficult situations or asking these questions, I just hope that you're encouraged and so we see Paul facing similar situation. He's, he's in this situation he didn't expect, right? When he's writing this book, the book of Philippians, he's writing it from prison. Um, he's, been in re- he's been arrested for preaching the gospel, and um, as a Roman citizen, he's kind of exercising his right to appeal this, this case to the highest courts. And so he's appealed it all the way to Caesar. It's like the Supreme Court, right? He's, he's appealed all the way to Caesar, and he's awaiting his trial there in prison in Rome, and things are not going as he expected, 
right? He's in prison. He, he isn't out preaching the gospel. He's like in chains. He's, um, he's a missionary, but he's not out planting churches. He's confined to this one spot. And he's writing this book, this, this letter uh, to the church at Philippi, um, to let them know, hey, all this is happening, but like, it's, it's okay. I'm actually really okay. And it's kind of this funny, ironic thing to where, you know, Paul is the one in prison, but he's like encouraging these people that are worried about him. Does anybody know somebody like that? It's like, they're the ones going through the difficulty, but all of a sudden they're encouraging you, right? And that's what we see here with Paul. He's writing to this church that he helped plant. So this is a church he was very um, involved with. He knew intimately. It was a church that had given to him financially to help with these missionary efforts, and they're worried about him. And notice, you know, we don't see Paul asking the same questions that we often ask. Um, we don't see him asking, you know, in this letter, God, why am I in prison? Like, what's going on here? Like, this is, what, why are you doing this? He's not asking, you know, why is nobody visiting me? Why am I all alone right now? He's not questioning, uh, am I called to this, God? Like, I thought that this is what I was supposed to do, but now I'm in prison. Like, what is happening? What have I done wrong? And we see Paul has actually submitted his situation, his these experiences that he didn't expect to the Lord, and he's actually provided him with this new perspective. He has this eternal perspective to where he's able to see outside of his circumstances, right? He's able to see outside just what's happening right now and see the end goal and God's plan and all of it. So even, th- even though things aren't going according to plan, we see in the life of Paul that God is using his broken plans for redemption. And with Paul as our example, I kind of want to see how God can do that same thing in our lives. And we're just going to kind of walk, you know, verse by verse through this section today. And I want to make kind of three main points of how God can redeem our plans. So the first one we see that when we give God our broken plans, he can redeem them to exalt himself. To exalt himself. We'll pick up in verse 12 and 13. You can follow along with me if you'd like. And it says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And so, you know, what we see here is kind of a miracle, right? It's, um, it's not what we expect. Paul is uh, arrested for preaching the gospel. And um, as, I, as I've said, he, because of his innocence and because of his Roman citizenship, he's appealed this, this case all the way up to the highest courts. And kind of is, in this ironic twist of faith, fate, He's been um, arrested for preaching the gospel, but now he's preaching the gospel to the palace guards, these people who are actually, um, you know, employed by Caesar himself, and he finds himself in, like, the most, uh, you know, advanced society in the world, preaching to these people who have the most authority and power in the world. And so what has happened to Paul is not actually quench the gospel. It's, in this weird way, it's advancing the gospel. God is using it to further his message to the ends of the earth. And, you know, when I read this story and I think of situations like this, I read these verses, I can't help but think of the story of Joseph um, in the Old Testament in Genesis. You know, you guys know the story. It's, it's um, you know, a, a great one that, you know, we all hear growing up. But um, Joseph is betrayed by his brothers. He's thrown into a pit. <laughs> he's sold into slavery. Um, he ends up uh, as a servant, and he's accused of something that he never did. Because of that, he's thrown into prison. And then he's just, like, forgotten about for years and years. Then all of a sudden, he's exalted to like the second highest place um, of power in Egypt. And God uses him in his position um, to speak to him through dreams and visions to warn Egypt that there's this famine coming. 
And because of his warning, they're able to prepare, and he saves Egypt and the surrounding area from this horrible famine, from starvation. And you guys know how, you know, through that, his family comes, and he's able actually to save his very brothers who, like, turned their back on him and sold him into slavery, right? And so that's kind of the context for, like, where we pick up the story, and it's kind of a, you know, I think of, you know, like, with my siblings, it's kind of a funny part of the story to where, you know, Joseph's dad has recently died, and all the brothers show up, and they're like, all right, Joseph, so, like, what happens now, right? Dad's gone. We know what we did to you. What now, right? But this is where it picks up in Genesis 50, 20. Joseph says this. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, right? So this horrible thing that Joseph went through, this this um, actual like harm that was intended by people that he loved to turn their back on him, right? Somehow God actually took that and used it as a part of his plan, his sovereign will for the good of Joseph, for the good of others, and to ultimately exalt God's control, to show that God is in control, that God is sovereign over everything. And I think we've all maybe experienced this in small or big ways of where we go through something difficult, we go through something hard, and in the moment, we're like, what in the world is happening? I, I don't understand this experience. But sometimes it even draws us closer to God in this kind of ironic way. It's like, God, I've got nothing else. I've got to cling to you in this moment. And then ultimately, at the end of it, sometimes we see how it all points to him anyways. I couldn't see it in the moment, but now, God, I see how you are always in control. You are always sovereign, and you're God, right? And so that's what we see in Paul's life too, right? This is, this is what we see in this situation. He has this perspective. And so rather than questioning God, Paul recognizes that God is redeeming his plans to exalt himself. And we see that in our own lives. We no longer doubt, right? It no longer leads us to doubt. It actually leads us to worship. It leads us to recognize, Lord, you're good, you're God, and you're in control. Second thing that we see in the text um, as we're moving along is that we give God our broken plans. He can redeem them to encourage others. To encourage others. We see that in verse 14. It says this, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And again, something kind of ironic has happened here, right? Um, rather than the people around Paul um, being scared or hesitant, um, to continue preaching the gospel, they see that Paul, like this is Paul, you know, the evangelist, the church planter. Um, he's preached the gospel, and all of a sudden he's been in prison. He's awaiting trial, possible execution, right? But people aren't like hesitant, like, oh man, that happened to Paul, like maybe I should take a step back. They're actually encouraged by this. They're encouraged, they see God moving through this. They see that God is actually using Paul's situation to exalt himself. And because of that, they press in even more. It's actually encouraged them to do the same thing. And, you know, I think of 2020, uh, you know, I think all of us can relate to that being a really difficult year. Um, when I think of tough years, you know, another year kind of comes to mind for me, and that uh, was 2016. It was a, that was a hard year for me. Um, some of you guys who, who know me kind of know a little bit of my, my story is that, you know, before I was um, teaching, before I was kind of involved in that world, um, kind of my two things were music and missions. So I was, you know, um, for a time, I was you know, a singer-songwriter. I got to record music and tour and lead worship. And um, I was also working for this missions organization where I, I scheduled short-term mission trips for youth groups, which is a whole lot of fun for, for a long time. And in 2016, I just kind of like hit the wall. 
And I don't know if any of you guys have experienced that before, to where, um, you know, music, I, I had put all of my, my effort and time and energy um, into, you know, that year I put out a record and I toured a lot and I was gone a lot. And I just was exhausted. I was tired of being gone. I was tired of being away from home. Um, you know, the, the record, which I put a lot of time and, and effort and passion into, wasn't really working out. And um, I was burnt out on missions and um, I kind of, you know, the curtain had been pulled back a little bit and I kind of saw, you know, some of the business side of ministry and, it, you know, kind of some cynicism started to kind of creep into my heart. And I just didn't know what to do, honestly. I had kind of hit this wall and I was like, Lord, what am I doing? What am I supposed to do? And um, I, there was even a point where I was like, maybe I'm not called to ministry. Like, maybe I should just go apply for like a normal job. And like, I just is not, this was a, a great thing for a period of time, but like, I'm just not sure what I'm supposed to do. And I don't know, you know, what I would have done in that situation if it weren't for, you know, some friends who were just a step ahead of me in life who said, hey, I've been through this too. I've been through seasons like this. Let me grab your hand and let me walk you through it. I know the way out of this. I've seen the light at the end of the tunnel. And I know what you're struggling with, but like, it's going to be okay, right? And maybe you guys have experienced this as well, um, you know, walking through something that's difficult you're not sure, like, man, I don't know if I can make it through this. I don't, I'm not, maybe I should just, maybe I should give up. I don't know um, how to make it through this situation. And then just had a friend who said, hey, I've been through this too. Like, let's walk together. Let me hold your hand and walk you through this and get you to the other side of things. I know the way out, right? And I believe that as we reach the other side of those difficult seasons, we're actually called to reach our hand back in the same way that people did for us. Because when we do that, something amazing happens, Right? All of a sudden, there's purpose in our pain. We recognize um, God doesn't waste anything. He's sovereign, and he wastes nothing. He doesn't waste pain or difficulty or confusion. Um, he uses all of it. And when we channel those experiences into helping and encouraging others, somehow that pain and that difficulty, it makes sense. I didn't, it didn't make sense in the, during the time, but now, God, I see how you've redeemed this, and actually I can use it to help those behind me. And um, I'm able to do that now even, right? I have, uh, in my position where I'm, I'm over a lot of students, um, I see a lot of students who are confused. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing. They don't know their next step. They're like, I, I showed up this college because I think I'm called to ministry, but like, what does that really look like? Where do I go from here? And I get, I get to say, hey, I've been through this. Like, I understand what you're going through. Let me grab your hand and walk you through it. And we see this in the story, um, uh, you know, of Paul in prison, but this was a theme of Paul's life, and we see it in a couple of different places. And one place we see it is 2 Corinthians 1.4. I, I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 1.4. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Right, so God is comforting Paul, so Paul can comfort others, and that's true for us too, right? Um, God comforts us so we can comfort others, so they can comfort others, right? It's this ongoing stage, phases of comfort, and I love this promise that Paul has in 2 Corinthians. And this was a way of life for Paul. This was a result of that eternal perspective that he had gained. And so we see here in this story and in the life of Paul, we see that rather than questioning others, Paul recognizes that God is redeeming his plans to actually encourage others. When we see this in our own lives, we no longer are, you know, kind of drawn to isolate. We're actually led into community. And I know there's a great community here at Chase Valley Community Church. 
people who walk us walk alongside each other and pull each other through and say, hey, I've been through this before. Let me, let me walk through this with you. Okay, and so we've seen this. We've seen that, you know, God is redeeming these plans to exalt himself. He's encouraging others. And then finally, we see that when we give our broken plans to God, he can redeem them to embolden us. Moving along in our verse here, we see in verse 15 and 18, you can read along with me if you'd like. It says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does this matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. Because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. And so Paul has this eternal perspective that we keep talking about that causes him to not even really be concerned with the motives of people around him. Um, his main focus is Christ and the spreading of his gospel. And um, because of this, no matter what he faces, no matter what happens on the outside of prison, no matter what people are trying to do to inflict things upon him, um, he can persevere, right? He sees that God is in control. And I don't know about you guys, like when I, sometimes I read the Bible and I just I find humor in it. I, don't, I hope you guys see that too. But um, like this, this verse is just kind of funny to me. Like there's irony in the fact that like there's these people who are like trying to get at Paul by doing the exact thing that Paul wants them to do, right? He's like, like you know, like they would be upset that he's preaching the gospel, right? And um, I don't know, I've been thinking, I was thinking about this even in parenting, um, all my examples are like parenting examples now. Sarah and I hung out with some, some friends the other night. It was a, a friend of mine from college I haven't seen in several years. And he's, he's, you know, he's in a different life stage. He's still touring and he's not married, doesn't have any kids. And like everything we started talking about, like I just started talking about Lena. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, it's kind of like when Lena did this one thing. And Sarah at one point was like, you've got to stop talking about Lena. Like there's other things in our life, right? But it just reminds me of this, you know, of these people preaching the gospel to like get at Paul. It's like the reverse psychology we use in parenting, right? Um, you know, Lena, like I said, she's three and a half and she's like very, she's very, uh, she's, we're saying she's a leader because that's a positive thing to say, but she's very stubborn. She like <laughs> likes her way, right? And so um, if she doesn't want to do something, like she doesn't want to do it. But like, I was just thinking about how even like this reverse psychology sometimes even works on her. It's like, all right, Lena, I don't want you to get in the bath. Like, do not go get in the bath. Please don't go take a bath. Right? And that, like, somehow weirdly, like, makes her go get in the bath. They're like, hey, Lena, do not eat these green beans that are on your plate right now. The last thing I want you to do is to eat these green beans, right? And it, like, works, right? And so, I don't know, maybe that's just, like, my weird parenting humor. I'm, like, seeing that in this text. Um, but we see that, you know, despite these things that are coming against Paul, these, these uh, people who are trying to kind of get at him, um, he's persevering, right? And we see that perspective continue to develop even further along in this book, right? This is a big theme of this book of Philippians. And a verse that we're familiar with is Philippians 4.13, right? This is a big kind of popular verse. I'm going to read Philippians 4.12 and 13, but I'm just going to read 13 first because that's what we're familiar with and we'll talk about it. So, you know, you guys know it. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Other translations say I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? I'll just give you a second. Let's just like close our eyes and like just think about what comes to mind when we think of this verse. And um, I don't know what comes to mind for you guys. But what comes to my mind is Tim Tebow. Anybody else? Am I the only person? Tim Tebow comes to mind when you think of Philippians 4.13. 
If you guys remember, like, you know, Tim Tebow, he, you know, when he was playing in college at Florida, he would, like, he had his eye black, and he would, like, put these verses on his eye black. And it was, like, kind of an amazing thing, right? Because actually, you know, the day after, you would see, like, he, you know, John 3.16 or whatever, and there'd be, like, a million Google searches for, like, what does John 3.16 say? So, like, you know, God kind of actually used this in, like, a funny way. Um, but I remember even, you know, as, I don't know how old I was, an 18-year-old or whatever it was, seeing, you know, Philippians 4.13 and being like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Like, I wonder if people are going to think, like, I don't know, like, Jesus is going to help Tim Tebow win this football game? Like, is Jesus, like, a, is he a Florida Gators fan? Like, what is happening here? And uh, what are people going to think about this? And so, I, you know, I talk about this verse often, you know, with my students about a verse that can be, you know, taken out of context often. But I love the context that we get, even with the verse right before it, right? And it kind of helps to even prove the point of this, um, this whole book and, and this talk today. And we'll read the whole thing. We'll read Philippians 4, 12 through 13. It says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And we can kind of add maybe ourselves, whether I'm in prison or I'm not in prison, whether I'm feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be called to do. I'm preaching the gospel or whether I'm in chains. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So this is, you know, this is Paul's perspective. This is that eternal perspective of recognizing that God's plans will come to fruition. No matter what we face, no matter what we go through, God is in control. And because that God is, per- Paul is persevering. And so we see that here, you know, rather than questioning himself... Paul recognizes that God is redeeming his plans to embolden himself. We see that in our own lives, you know, we no longer want to quit. We're no longer tempted to quit. We're actually led to persevere. We see that God is on our side and has good things for us. And so kind of wrapping up today, um, you know, I have to talk about Romans 8.28. I feel like that's just the verse you talk about in in a message series kind of like this. It's so encouraging to me and I'm sure you guys are familiar with Romans 8.28, but it says this, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, for those who have been called according to his purpose. I heard one pastor say that he sums it up this way, especially when he's teaching kids, um, which sometimes, you know, it's like the teaching for kids is like really what we need. It's like simplified, and it's like, oh, I I can actually grab onto that. And um, I hope that, you know, you grab onto this, and maybe you can take this away with you today. But he says, when things don't go the way they should, God always makes them turn for good. When things don't go the way they should, God always makes them turn for good. And this is the great paradox of Christianity, right? Somehow God takes the broken and the difficult and the painful things and redeems them. The things that we go through, we're like, why, God, are you doing this? What is happening right now? Right? We see this ultimately in the cross, right? This thing that seems so horrible and so unexpected, God redeems and uses for his purposes, right? No other worldview or religion promises us this. There's no, you can't go anywhere else that will tell you, hey, there's purpose in your pain. Like the, the, the difficult circumstances, the things that you didn't expect can actually be used for good, for your good. C.S. Lewis says that life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace in difficulties. And I love that idea that no matter what we go through, no, no matter what the difficulties we may face are, God is with us. God is present, right? He's using them for our good. And so, I don't know, maybe, you know, today you're like, hey, John, these are great stories. 
Like, I love the Bible story. I love how things have worked out for you. Um, but, like, I haven't experienced this. And, like, I don't know, like, if I'm going to. Like, will my pain be redeemed, like, in this side of heaven? Like, while he on earth, like, will my pain be redeemed? And, you know, the honest qu- answer is maybe. And maybe not. But this hope that we have, even here on earth, of the redemption of our plans, it's ultimately just a foretaste of our full redemption and our full restoration. And one day, when all who trust in Jesus will be with him face to face, and as Tolkien says, everything sad will come untrue. And so one day, we'll, we'll, all this will make sense. <laughs> and one day, maybe God will redeem the things you're going through on this side of heaven, and you'll see his plan was working out through all of it. And maybe one day you'll see face-to-face, say, ah, oh, now I see God. I see what you were doing. Didn't see it then, but I see it now. So God wants to redeem our broken plans to exalt himself. God wants to redeem our broken plans to encourage others. And God wants to redeem our broken plans to embolden us. And when we realize this, we don't question God. We worship him. We don't isolate ourselves. We actually press into community. And we're not tempted to quit. We actually persevere.